what if I were to tell you there were three things more important than money in retirement? Would you believe me? You don't have to take my word for it. We're in luck. Today's guest, Babs Plunkett, best-selling author, is going to tell us about three investments for a successful retirement. I can't wait. I'm Bo Henderson here at Rose Creek Community Center, home of the Retirement Resource. This is the place dedicated to those committed to making retirement intentional, fulfilling, and fun. Well, here we are in room three at Rose Creek Community Center. I'm joined by none other than Carl. How's it going, Carl? Hey, Bo. It's good to be back. It's going well. And obviously, you know, well, I say obviously, it's my favorite time of the year. Like the Christmas season, right? Uh, you know, there's songs to be played, there's food to be eaten, there's family to gather around. Hopefully, you know, maybe socially distance, however that looks. But uh, for me, there's it's a lot about Christmas traditions. For you and uh, your lady or your family, are there any big Christmas traditions around this time of year that you look forward to? You know, we're talking about uh, something interesting. We're talking about starting a new tradition, and we're ta- we're starting about you know we're going to go to the family and do the family Christmas Eve and Christmas, talking about my parents, my grandparents. and But we're talking about maybe going to the mountains in North Carolina the day after Christmas and seeing if maybe Santa Claus leaves a present there or something and trying to make a new tradition for our little family there. Okay, so don't, don't toy with me now. Are you saying that there's a possibility Santa might be somewhere in the Carolinas on December 26th? I, there might be a gift for Carl under the tree. I don't know. I mean, okay. we'll, we'll see. I'll bring it back if there is. Well, I hope you find it because there's nothing I love more than Santa and gifts. Well, well here's when we talk about the holiday. I'm glad you brought that up, though. When we talk about Christmas time, the holidays, I think of memories. And I mm-hmm. think uh, one of my favorite memories that comes to mind is as a kid, my grandmother Henderson, my dad's mom, we would go up there and it was always so much fun because on that side of the family, my dad had uh, nine siblings. So on that side of the family, there was like 40 cousins. Wow. And we would get, and my grand, grandmother had a little bitty house, but we'd all play outside, run, play tag. And that's one of my favorite memories is just looking forward so much to being around those cousins and, and the playing we did, the, the games we played, and just getting that family together. That's amazing. Yeah. I mean, in the same way, I think back to my, you know, childhood memories with my dad. And uh, we used to do this really, uh, you know, awesome thing that I think lots of people do. Uh, it was a polar plunge. A polar plunge? Polar plunge? Is that that's yeah. like when you jump in an icy lake? I don't know why you jump in a lake. The polar plunge is kind of, yeah, there's water involved and it's cold, but you jump in a neighbor's pool. <laughs> That sounds like a modified pole. Did you? That's not how you guys did that. I've never done a polar plunge. I mean, I've heard there's health benefits to jumping in cold water. Is that what you're getting at? Or yeah, just- well, I mean, mostly it's because we didn't have a pool of our own. Right. And so, I mean, my dad, you know, people go down to Florida, different places for Christmas, and we find out one of the neighbors wasn't home, and he'd say like, oh, "Hey, boy. son." Like, let's go hop the fence and go jump in their pool. And so he's like, this is what's called a polar plunge. It was awesome. But the neighbor knew, right? The neighbor knew and gave you permission to come by and use the pool, right? I mean, they're just being good neighbors. I don't know if they knew. <laughs> okay. Well, so so you're doing that today. So so you just, you have a pool at the house or a pool in the community or or do you go to the pool here? I mean, what? How does that work? Well, the pool here is closed down and Art's real testy about me trying to use the pool when it's closed. He's, you know, we've gotten a lot closer because he gets to tell his jokes but that would be, you know, a line too far for me to try and get in the pool. So typically, like me and my dad used to, I just kind of wander the neighborhood with um, 
Well, now I have to wander it with a ladder because I, I can't climb up the fence anymore. You know, I'm a, a large man. And so like I climb the ladder and then and then I kind of hop down into the neighbor's yard to use the pool for the polar plunge just because I'm trying to remember my dad. You do know. I mean, I, I like the sentimentality of remembering your dad, but you do know technically that's breaking and entering. Have you run into any issues with the cops or anything? I mean, but how can that be breaking and entering? I'm never entering. You're entering the pool. You're entering the fence. But from my many, many encounters with the legal profession, B and E, it has to be the house. So the property is completely on limits. But we do live in a part of the country that definitely supports the Second Amendment. So you just have to make sure nobody's home because we have had that before. And Bo, getting buckshot out during Christmas, that is not a fun way to spend your uh, Christmas morning. That's not the memory you want to make. I could imagine. Well, you know, Carl, as interesting as that is, It's time for In the News. So, Bo, I came across a couple of uh, articles recently. One of the ones that I thought was so interesting was, what are the best questions to ask your financial advisor about retirement? Like, so you're trying to pick somebody out and how do you, when you're, you know, meeting with somebody for the first time, kind of interview them? Yeah, you know, I think that's a great question. And some of it, there's some very specific questions. And I think some of it just goes back to, you know, basic uh, things our parents might have taught us. I I think of things my dad taught me. Uh, Does somebody look you in the eye, right? Yeah. Does somebody um, treat you the way that you like to be treated? So I think some of it's softer skills and some of it's hard, but some of the questions you want to, to think about in particular, one of the biggest things I think you can check on is how long have you been doing this business? Yeah. What kind of experience do you have? Because... There's a high failure rate in the financial services world or dropout rate. And the reason being is that you're not going to stay around decades if you're not doing the right thing by people. So it's a good sign. It's a good first step to say, how long have you been doing this? How many people have you helped? Uh, Because again, people tend to move on from the profession if they're not doing it in a way that's sustainable for a long time and doing right by people. Yeah, I think that's great. I think another thing too, just for me that I think about with, you know, meeting somebody like you, sometimes the profession might feel vague because I don't know exactly all of the services you provide. So one of the questions that was listed in the article is literally to say, which services do you provide to your clients? No, I think that's a great question because, you know, we're talking here at the Retirement Resource a lot of our listeners, Carl, they're they're preparing for or they're enjoying and navigating in retirement. Mm. So I think uh, we should ask specific questions. Do you specialize in help, helping people in that very specific period between accumulating assets during their working life and preparing and distributing assets in their retirement life? Completely different set of rules for those two. So you want to make sure that that's what somebody specializes in. Because I almost think about it, and I don't want to use an overused analogy, but it's almost like a, a doctor, right? You want a specialist helping you with your situation. You don't want a generalist helping you with your necessarily your heart surgery or brain surgery. Absolutely. So I think that's a good thing is just to say, do you help specifically? What situations do you, do you specialize in? Is it retirement income planning? Is it tax distribution planning? Is it estate planning? And make sure that, uh, that that's the specialty that meets you and your situation, your circumstance in this phase of life you're in. Yeah, all of that's super helpful. One of the other questions that came across from this piece was, um, you need to ask the advisor, are they a fiduciary? Call. No, 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 that's not, I'm sorry, that's not it. It's a fi, fi, fiduciary. Are you a, so Bo, are you a fiduciary? Carl, I'm not a fiduciary, 
the word you're looking well, for. Well, then, so then somebody should go to somebody else if you're not a FIDUC, Gary? Let me finish. The word you're trying to say is fiduciary. Oh, we're getting fancy today. Fiduciary, right? Oh, because it's got the long C with like an umlaut over the top of it. That's it. So, yes, I, I, I act as a fiduciary, and it is a question you want to ask. Is, so, what, what, what is a Fiduciary. Fiduciary. What is fiduciary? So fiduciary, what that means is that's the highest uh, standard of care for a client, meaning you are held to the standard of doing what's in the client's best interest, not just something that might be okay or might be suitable for them, which is kind of the lower standard standard of care. And if you're held to a fiduciary standard, you're liable to do what's in the best interest of the client. And that's what you want from the client perspective. You want somebody that's held to that standard working for you or on your team. Which is amazing because you'd think that all people are held to that standard, but apparently that's not the case. So there are levels to this fiduciariness of your advisor. Yeah, and, and, a, and a very good question out, outright is to ask that question because if somebody uh, kind of skirts the issue or doesn't answer yes, there's a good chance they might be in a licensing situation where they're held to what's called a suitability standard. And it's a much lower standard of what they have. They have to do something that's reasonable or that could be suitable for your circumstances, not necessarily the best thing they can for you. And that's wow. not really the level of care that you're looking for. So great question to ask. Yeah, that's, that's awesome. let's, let's practice it again. Fiduciary. 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 Got I got it. it. You got it. And that was worth the whole show. Yeah. I was so close though. Fiduciary. Yeah, I don't want you going into banks or financial institutions asking for a fiduciary. No, I might not last long. Um, The other, and uh, what I thought was probably the most, you know, applicable question to me um, is how will I compensate you? Like, is this like, Hmm. you know, McDonald's money? Is it Monopoly money? Is it a barter system? How how will I uh, compensate my financial advisor? In a financial advising role, there's multiple ways advisors are compensated. It could be a fee for creating a plan. Here's a flat fee of X amount of dollars to create this plan or strategy for you. It could be uh, a percentage of assets to manage assets. So for the assets we manage, it's it's X percent to manage those assets. There could be some kind of a a commission compensation involved. The key is uh, none of the... There's... Any of those could work and could be the, the key there, Carl, is that you want to make sure that, re, that regardless of how your advisor's compensated, that it's completely clear and transparent to you so you so you can make a good decision on if that makes sense for you and your situation. Yeah, it's really helpful. You know, clarity is always helpful with these situations because maybe I'm going into that conversation thinking, you know, I've saved these glassware cups you know, from the Batman Begins movies that McDonald's sold. And they're like collector's items now, almost like Beanie Babies. And I thought that they were going to take that when actually they're just going to take a portion of the investment. So clarity is important. Yeah, no, I, w- I don't think I would take payment in be- Beanie Babies myself at our firm. Uh-oh, well, maybe I got to look for somebody else then, Bo. So other than those couple of things, is there something from the article maybe that you think might be missing? What, what's a, what would you say is another great and maybe our last question if you're sitting down with a new financial advisor? Well, it's soft skills. This is going back to, you know, look for those things. What's the body language like? Is this somebody, is this advisor, uh, do they have a process? Do they have something that they can explain as to how they go through helping a client? Do they look confident in their body language? Do they look me in the eye? Uh, we've been talking about this in a lot of episodes are they paying the appropriate attention to both spouses? Mm. They're not just speaking maybe to the the man in the in the situation, which we we've had guests come on the show recently, right? They shared that hey, 
it's both of us. And we both have to feel taken care of and 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 spoken to and for this to feel right for us. Absolutely. Uh, so so those are some of the things. But here's here's the last question I would ask is do we like each other? Do we enjoy do we see ourselves? Think of this as a relationship because a proper advisor relationship, and I say this because unfortunately, a lot of times what happens in the financial services industry is someone sets up a plan or a product, and that's about the last time they hear from their person for the most part. So a proper relationship should be just that, a relationship. So my question to people, and I say it jokingly, but sometimes it's not really a joke, or really it's not, is... Do we kind of do we like each other and foresee enjoying meeting because we might be doing this for the next thirty years? Wow! I so make sure somebody and, and then the other piece to that, Carl, is make sure it's somebody you feel comfortable talking to because the last thing that I would want to hear from somebody is you know what I don't I feel like I, I don't feel really comfortable calling my person to talk to them or ask them questions. I just don't have that comfort level. Find a person that you jive with right. for for the technical term, right? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know that that's been a technical term for about 20 years, well, but uh, I'm bringing it back. I'm bringing it back. That's right. Right here on the retirement resource. Your, your uh, first stop for new lingo from, uh, from us here at the uh, Rose Creek Community Center. Well, that was awesome. Uh, another um, piece that I came across really caught my eye because it talked about, did you realize that the number of 401k and IRA millionaires just reached record high during the pandemic. And so like when we're talking about this, we're talking about the number of so-called 401k millionaires increased 17% during the pandemic and the number of IRA millionaires increased 15% um, during this time. And so I was just curious, Bo, as these people are in this space during a pandemic and we're looking at kind of the whole world kind of going sideways and lots of instability and you know election and, and all these other things, how is it possible that in the midst of these sorts of things, there's a pocket of what seems like really savvy investors and people who've done this thing well, who've moved now into this millionaire status? It almost sounds counterintuitive, right? Is that, hey, all we're hearing is the negative news. We're hearing about the pandemic we're in. We're hearing about um, concerns politically. We're, we're hearing about just all this negativity and, and there's a lot of anxiety and fear. We've talked about that on the show, but what's happening is the reality of it and, and some of the things that are in play here is the market has grown. When we look at the third quarter of last year in 2019 to the third quarter of this year, the stock market indexes have reached close to all-time highs despite, you know, we had kind of a bumpy spring and summer this year, but we're back up. We're, we're really high. So as the, the market and the indexes go up, people's account, those 401ks and IRAs become more valuable. And so much of the assets in this country are held by those, the baby boomers preparing for retirement. So as those accounts grow, we have people passing that threshold into millionaire status. So the good news is, is that uh, we've, we've grown those assets and we, we've created a lot of new millionaires. The bad news is, is some of that, why that's happening is because a lot of people are overexposed in the stock market. Mm-hmm. So the only thing that the other side of that is if the market contracts quickly, that million dollar account could drop and go, you know, go back and contract or, or get smaller again. So, you know what that leads me to is that that same thing we talk about over and over again. Great news for now, but what is it going to do to your portfolio when the market pulls back? Because one thing we know about the market, Carl, it's like a roller coaster, right? It goes up and it goes down. I don't like roller coasters. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's the market. So, it's always a reminder whether we're in, a, we're in a high spot, especially when we're in a market high, is 
let's revisit the strategy. What's exposed to market? It's worked out for us so far, but we also know what it felt like in 2001, 2008, and even March of this year when it pulled back significantly. And is my exposure to the market appropriate on the assets that I have a good window, 10 years plus to grow that money and, and ride out a market cycle? So my uh, really, I think, pivotal question that I have at the end of this idea of all of these new millionaires, um, both in their IRAs um, and in their 401ks, is, is there any place I can get a list of all of these new millionaires because I'm looking for an investor in my new snow cone business? Well, there's a couple of problems I have with this, Carl. So no, I can't. That's private information. I can't get you a list of But of I thought they were all exposed. They're, they're exposed to risk. And some of it sounds like maybe risk to Carl's ideas, right? So tell me, so, so we're in the dead of winter. It's getting cold here. And you're wanting to start a snow cone business? Yeah, think about it. Zero competition. Okay, well, from a business perspective, and I appreciate you opening up your business mind. So competition is something important to, to, pay, uh, to pay attention to. But you also realize in the dead of winter, there's no demand either for snow cones. I mean, I think if you make it delicious enough, Think about it. Like, I want Chick-fil-A when? Every single Sunday. So who knows? There might be just all these people out there who are going, man, I'm desperate for a snow cone, and I'm basically now in four months of Sundays, and I can't get one. There's no competition. My snow cones are going to be, like, delicious. And now all of a sudden, there's, there's no other people out there. I think it's brilliant. You know, have you ever heard of, of people that they have a lot of ideas, like, like hundreds of ideas, and the, the great thing I about, hear that all the time. Yeah, they tell me I'm full of it. Yeah, the, the great thing about people with ideas, Carl, is that, that if you have enough of them, eventually one of them is going to be really good. I don't know if we're there yet. Oh, okay. But I appreciate the effort. All right. Well, I'm going to go back and work on it. I appreciate that. I know now I can't go find the millionaires. All right. So what I'm getting there is maybe the snow cone business currently is dead. But I think that these pieces were really valuable. One for me, just to go, if I'm meeting with a new advisor... I need to look at body language. I need to ask, like, how are you getting paid? And number three, like this high standard of this new word I just learned, the fiduciary. I like it. Yeah. yeah. To make sure that they're doing what is in my best interest. So for you, Bo, like as we look at the couple of those pieces, what was the takeaway for you? I think that's one is, is one, you start asking some of those questions and two, don't be in a rush. This is an important decision. It's like, it's like dating or finding a, a partner in marriage, right? Don't, don't marry the first person you meet necessarily, right? Hey, there might be exceptions. Hold on, I'm taking notes on this. There Don't marry. Okay, there go, got it. There you go. Uh, and, and ask questions and, and be open to interviewing and talking because you will know when something resonates and there's a fit in the, in the message of how the process works and how a, an advisor works with a client, you could, you'll say either this, isn't, this doesn't really feel right to me or it does. And you can move forward from that. And then the other piece with the, I think it was important what, what we brought up with the, all the new millionaires that have happened in this, in spite of the pandemic, in the midst of the pandemic this year, is that's excellent news. But whether you're a millionaire or not, whether it's grown up more than it ever has, we're at market highs, it's, it's always a good reminder, especially when things are really good, because it's hard to do when it's good, you just kind of keep letting things ride. But when things are really good and the market's high, let's step back and say, is my plan or my retirement strategy really set up the way it needs to be? Do I have a proper allocation of income planning, growth planning? Do I have the right liquidity in my situation? Has my estate planning been addressed? And all those things fit together so that when the market goes up like it has been, and when the market goes down, you're on track for a successful retirement. 
Um, those are our hot takes for in the news. So much focus on retirement and what you would think of as a successful retirement, it's focusing on the balance sheet, the assets, the expenses, and that's important. We all have to deal with that to move towards a retirement that's meaningful and satisfying, which we talk about here a lot on the show. But what if there's other investments? And I'm excited because we're going to talk to our guest today, Babs Plunkett. Now, she's a certified retirement coach, and she's the best-selling author of the book, Choose Joy, Three Keys to Investing Your Time in Retirement. We want to talk about those three keys now, about maybe some investments we haven't thought about yet that just might be the key to being happy in retirement. Because isn't that what we all want anyway? Hey, Bab, so excited to have you on the Retirement Resource. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you, Paul. So interesting. I've kind of, I've kind of queued you up and told, told our listeners that we have something interesting to talk about today. And I want to talk about, you have this approach and the, this philosophy of approaching retirement and making sure we're taking in consideration joy. So where do we start with that? Joy sounds good to me, but, but what does that mean? Well, joy um, is something deeper, I think, than happiness. The people that I interviewed for my book, Choose Joy, Three Keys to Investing Your Time in Retirement, talked over and over more of something deeper, something soulful uh, that comes from choosing the passions in your life and balancing out not just fun stuff, but a balance of activities that engage your mind, move your body, and help you connect with other people. You know, and what I found fascinating over over the years is sometimes when we get to retirement, there's some preconceived ideas of what that's supposed to look like. What am I supposed to do? What do my kids think I'm supposed to do? What does maybe a, a friend think it's supposed to look like? And and if we're not careful, we're we're going down a path of somebody else's uh, definition of what retirement should be like. And it sounds like when we talk about joy. Uh, what I found and just working with people over the last 20 years is that when we actually can tap into that thing that lights us up, makes us happy, it sounds like when you say that deeper, deeper than fun, deeper than some of these other things, uh, that's the best version of ourselves we can be, right? For our family, for our community, and for the world. Yes, absolutely. And I like how you framed that, that we go into retirement with some expectations. Mm -hmm. I think we are really in an outdated moment in time of our views of retirement. We really see it, many of us, as a permanent vacation. And we are living 30 years longer. The average retirement is 20 to 30 years. So being on vacation solely, vacation is awesome. but for 30 years, people in the beginning, that seems fun and the honeymoon phase is nice. And then it gets kind of itchy and people long for something more. And one of the stories in my book that really speaks to that is John. John retired early. He was a a science high school teacher and he envisioned retirement being golf. Seven days a week of golf. He was a marathoner. He played um golf and tennis and and ran. And then he said, my niece started complaining about that plan. And I realized (laughs) (laughs) that retirement can't just be a physical adventure. And he consciously cultivated a a collection of interests that, that could grow old with him. 
he became a super breakneck competitive duplicate bridge player. And he said, as long as I can use my mind, I can right. play bridge. His partner is 93 years old and he makes wine. He refurbishes cars. He made it a point to think back to the things he loved and cultivate a, a collection of passions that can grow with him through the decades. Well, and what I love about that is I think the older we get, sometimes we get set in our ways, maybe that here's what I like, here's what I don't like, but it's really fun to be open to what am I curious about, maybe, and, and see it as an experiment, right? Let me mm-hmm. try it. Let me take a, yes. let me sample. Maybe I like it. Maybe I keep it like the bridge. I, I mean, I love that story. Or maybe I see that that's not for me and I move on to the next thing I'm curious about. You know, I, I love that, that attitude because it's so expansive. Yes. And for a lot of people, it's challenging. I mean, we are so wired in our American culture to define ourselves by our work. And we get completely consumed, so many of us, in the busyness of work and raising families that we kind of forget sometimes about what we used to love to do. And it can be tricky to unspool back to rediscover what was that thing that I, I used to love to do? Um, Sharon comes to mind, another story. Um, and she lost her husband on his birthday. And a year later, she lost her daughter to suicide on the same day. And wow. it was, of course, just her world stopped. And she had to swim a whole year through the grief of it until on the anniversary date, she woke up and thought, I, I got to begin again. And she realized that over the decades, she had only defined herself as a wife, a mother, mm-hmm. and the nurse that she was. And she had to take herself back to remember what it was that she loved to do. And so she invited people to think about just doodling for 15 minutes to rediscover what it is that you love to do, to take yourself back in time and get curious about the things that you maybe left, left behind when you, when you moved into the shoulds of life. Yeah, and re, there's something really powerful about seeing a, a passion or something from the, maybe a love from the past. That, like you said, I've become the role of a mother, a father, a a spouse, an employee, and it just kind of got buried somewhere along the way. And when you see that recaptured, I've seen some really, that thing, I, I best describe it, like you said, it's, it's funny. It's, it's like joy, joy coming back into the life. So go mm-hmm. figure. Uh, so tell me a little bit about the book. What was the the impetus of hey, let's do this book. Uh, you know, a book's an undertaking and, mm-hmm. and I know it can take some time and be some effort, but I know for you, there were some reasons you said this book needs to be written. Yes. So it will sound crazy, but my I started to get passionate about joyful aging when I was 13 years old. Wow. Yes, the inspiration for figuring out how to age well was my crabby grandma. and my crabby grandma moved in with my family when I was 13 and she would perch herself in the kitchen wearing her pearls and her heels and a scowl and she would just glare at us and I understood that her health was a challenge but as and I would ask her you know tell me about your life and and she'd just say I don't know why God keeps me alive I'd rather be dead and as a young person I found that of course very sad but alarming and wondered can, can you be genetically programmed to be crabby? Right. And so I started asking people. I asked my seventh grade teacher and he was the first one to say, no, you can choose. And that was a revelation to me. And so for the next 40 years, I, I 
watched people that were aging well. I talked to them. I was in a marketing position where I got to do focus groups to launch a music program for 55 plus adults. And over and over, I heard people talk about joy. And then uh, two and a half years ago, I woke up on March 1st, literally with this fully formed passion to go collect stories about people aging with joy and purpose. Two weeks later, I'd spoken to 15 people. A few months later, I'd done 50. And over the course, I talked to 100 people ages 62 to 100 um, that others saw as aging with joy and purpose to glean their wisdom. Ordinary people, not people who are doing pole vaulting at age 67. (laughs) Ordinary people who are living extraordinary lives because of the collection of choices they're making to live with joy. Well, something I found interesting, Babs, this you, the book is called Choose Joy, Three Keys to Investing Your Time in Retirement. The key word there for me is investing. Now, mm-hmm. a lot of times the context of investing, I'm thinking of, or I think we think of mutual funds, stocks, that kind of thing. But you chose the word investing your time but it's not talking about money necessarily. So, so t- let's, let's unpack that a little bit. Yeah, that's a great question, Bo. I really see this working in partnership with wealth management advisors, financial planners who are experts at investing money. Of course, we need to be financially secure in our retirement, but I'm sure you see it over and over again with your clients that no matter how much money you have, if you haven't invested in your relationships, in your health, in activities that give you a sense of purpose, the money's not worth anything. And that a real rich life, to borrow your great language, really does um, come from those three keys. Engaging your mind with something that gives you purpose. Moving your body for just 20 or 30 minutes a day, the research shows. Doesn't have to be going to the gym, any kind of movement. And then connecting with others, which is really, if if you don't have the energy to do anything else, Investing in your relationships is the number one thing to do. And, you know, the investment too, it is. You have to be intentional. You can't just hope it happens and we're lucky is we intentionally have to say, okay. And what you've done a nice job of, what I really appreciate here, Babs, is You've given us, okay, here's, here's, a, here's a guide. Here's, here's three things we can work on and we can be intentional about. So let's, let's break those down a little bit. Mm-hmm. If we were going, you, you told me one of the things to choose joy, one area was engage your mind. So maybe a couple of takeaways or bullet points there for how do we do that? What does that mean? Yeah. So for those who like the science of it, There are mountains of research that support the value of engaging your mind. One study that I quote in the book is from the Rush Medical Institute that shows just two hours a week of pursuing meaningful activities can lower the rate of cognitive decline, um, cardiac issues, and stroke. Two hours. That's it. What would be some examples of that? Mm-hmm. So um, it can be everything from volunteering. Of course, people understand that, but really only 30% of the population volunteers. So I've included a lot of other stories like pursuing a passion, getting creative, doing arts or music. Some people unretire. Some people discover they want to keep working in some way and then trying something new. So an example I referenced was Sharon, who spooled back to discover that she loved drawing. And so she's she's draws every morning. She took piano classes and said, I pity the woman who's who's trying to teach me piano because I certainly learned better <laughs> when I was young. Right. There's grandpa. Yeah. So those are a couple of examples of engaging your mind. And uh after each story, 
Expo, there is a try this idea that is a concrete action step that you can take. If a particular story, say like Sharon's or um, John's that I mentioned who with the place bridge gives you a concrete action step that you can take to get a taste of joy today. Got it. Well, and it's, it's actively using, I, as you were describing, I get it. So it's actively doing something where you're having to be present, right? You're having to use your mind as opposed to, unfortunately, now there's so many things where you can almost numb out watching TV. Doing, so, so it's not, not living your life that way. It's, it's choosing to be present and engaged. I love that. Well, one of the things, Babs, I wanted, I wanted to bring up, you made me think about this, was we were looking at some research on a, another episode of the show and we found these, I believe it's called blue zones. It was these pockets mm-hmm. of octogenarians, right? Yeah. And, and we were finding what was a common characteristic of these, these pockets that had these, this unusual proportion of people living to 100 plus. Mm-hmm. And, you, you know, we're thinking, is it diet? Is it, um, is it genetics? And the number one determinant was movement, which leads to our next or next thing, move your body, right? And I thought that yes. was fascinating. Yes. So let's talk about that. So move your body. That's that's our investment number two for joy in, in retirement. Exactly. And I assume we're all smart people and we know about going to the gym and we know about yoga and Pilates and those things. So I intentionally did not include any stories about traditional exercise because mm. I figure people can figure that out. So I chose untraditional examples for people who don't want to go to the gym. Right. An example that comes to mind is there was a man uh, that I met out um by a lake near my house. And he was removing buckthorn, which is an invasive species in the neck of woods that I live. And he had retrofitted a child's bike carrier for all of his tools. And he made it his business to remove the weeds along this stretch of lake. He noticed it when he was biking to work before he retired. And he decided to make it his job to spend about half a day every day removing the weeds. He got permission from the park board. But in this example, I mean, he's working out four hours a day for the sake of the community to make it better. But he said, you know, this doesn't have to be hard. And his try this idea at the end of his story, you can simply adopt a couple of blocks in your neighborhood, take a bag with you and pick up the garbage along the way. And if you did that for 20 minutes a day, you're fulfilling what the Lancet Medical Journal says is a, the minimum threshold for moving your body. And then you're giving to your community and you also get that endorphin hit of feeling good to make your neighborhood look better. It can be really simple. You know, and I think that's that's a big deterrent sometimes as well. I started the, the first of the month, I was going to go to the gym for an hour a day. And then you get to about day three and I don't feel like it or something happens and I'm not consistent is that it doesn't have to be this very regimented very hard thing. And, and I, you know, we're probably much better off doing that 20 minutes consistently of some kind of activity than an hour sporadically of this yes. intense exercise. And, and, and this is, to me, there's, there's another thing. So there's good and bad with technology, but now there's all kinds of things. I find it very helpful. I have a, I wear something on my wrist that's just a movement mm-hmm. goal. And yeah. if I close the ring, so to speak, right, it means I, it, I didn't, it didn't necessarily clock 45 minutes at the gym, but I knew I was moving around enough during the day to at least have a minimum standard. So, so I think that that's kind of fun too, is we got all kinds of tools and technology that could actually help us get our activity without feeling like it was a failure because I didn't check the box of, I didn't get to the gym today. Yeah. 
So, so it really gets so, so keep moving. Now, what happens, Babs, if it's as we age and we're, maybe we're, we're working through some health limitations or things like that? How do we overcome that? Because I could see that being a psychological barrier of, eh, yes. I get it, but it's kind of a... Yeah, I have a whole section in the Move Your Body on moving with health limitations. And I'll give two quick examples on that. One in the caretaker, caregiver role, and one, uh, somebody who is experiencing the health limitation himself. Uh, one of the stories is about Ann and Bill, and uh, it's a married couple, and Bill has a, has Alzheimer's. And they share a devotion for their dog. And Anne, Bill's wife, made the commitment to every day going to the dog park. And there were multiple layers of good there. One, it got Bill out of the house for as long as his his cognitive abilities allowed him to be there. It was an enclosed area where Bill felt safe. And Anne could walk the laps around and get her health. Bill could stroll. And then there were also dog park regulars where they made connections and friendships and people, if Ann and Bill missed a day because Bill's health didn't allow it or Ann didn't have the energy to muster to get him there, the dog park regulars were you know, concerned about them. So that's an example where they Ann found a workaround to keep Bill moving, keep herself moving, keep the dog moving, uh, but connecting with others. Another example is... Uh, much more extreme. And it is Carter. And Carter's 70. Carter was a lifelong runner. And he was training at the master's level to go to the master's tournament in Paris when he suffered a heart attack. And people didn't find him until he'd suffered quite significant effect on his brain. So he is extremely physically disabled. It took him several years to be able to dress himself, tie his shoes. But he decided to get himself into the Special Olympics. And his he's got a huge, huge bursting lap. And he says, when I get up to that that start line, I look around and I tell I tell the timer, get out your calendar to time my race. <laughs> got a sense of humor about it. He had a sense of humor and he said, I'll tell you something else. At my age, there often isn't anybody else in my heat. So I get all the gold medals. Is that I win. Yeah. yeah. So I win. So he's finding a way to um, stay. And in that example, in that try this, you know, you don't have to be as physically uh, disabled as Carter. There are all kinds of adaptations that are available for every sport. And there are many stories in the book where people went from playing hardcore tennis to paddle ball, to pickleball, you know, just letting your activities uh, evolve with with the evolution of your body. Well, I like that. And a lot of this is just thinking outside the box a little bit, right? Just thinking and creating, okay, here's here's a unique situation, our situation, my situation. What works for this? What works for me? Uh, so we've talked about uh, investments for joy. We've talked about engaging your mind. We've talked about moving your body. I can see why both of those would be things that would help with this whole process of living that that joyful retirement, that joyful life. Uh, now, you brought up something with the, with the dog park, park story is there were some relationships being formed there. Mm-hmm. Now, one of the things I've seen, Babs, is over the years is this idea, couples in retirement, if we're not careful, 
they can turn the focus toward each other and look to each other for all their relationship needs. And that causes problems or can. Um, yes. Or solo agers, you know, more and more people are single as we get older. There, there's very, stati- very bad statistics of, of isolation and loneliness. So let's talk a little bit about your last investment here. The third one is connect with others. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so... Uh, Again, for those who like the the research data, the most alarming piece of research that I came upon in my research for the book comes from Harvard's adult study on adult development. It's the longest study on adults, on adult life. And the director of that has the alarming quote that loneliness kills. It is as powerful as smoking and alcoholism. And that if we have even just one relationship, it, it it has positive health outcomes for us. So you know, if you're lucky enough to be surrounded by family, right? You have a you have a good start. Not that families aren't complicated, not that there aren't you know messy business to have you know to maintain the relationships there. But if you don't, it can be really hard. If you're a solar ager, if you don't live where your family. Um, you know, nearby your family, you got to do the brave thing of starting over. And there's some lovely stories in there. One that, that is a personal favorite is Warren, who's 77, who formed a friendship with four-year-old Logan. <laughs> and Warren became friends with Logan when Warren's wife was dying. And Logan's mom organized the neighborhood to bring meals to Warren and his, his wife. And she'd always bring him along little Logan. And he said, you know, he would march in there and he could, you could just see that little four-year-old had such a sense of purpose. He knew he was doing good. And he said, how can you not fall in love with a little boy like that? And they grew to have the shared love of hockey. They would bat the ball around in the sidewalk anytime Warren was out, Logan would be out until eventually Logan found out that Warren played hockey and he begged his mom to let him join Warren's old guys hockey team. (laughs) <laughs> so little four-year-old Logan was playing with the 60 and 70-year-old guys on the rink. Um, and lo- and they formed like a bonus grandpa-grandson relationship. So daring to reach out to your neighbors is something that I think culturally we don't do as much anymore. And I think that's hopeful too, is that you brought up earlier, maybe I don't have that family situation. Maybe I don't have the big family. Is that it, uh, what I've seen, Babs, is that it's not necessarily about Family relationships is about relationships, period. Those yes. it kind of solves the same thing or does the same mm-hmm. things for us. Mm-hmm. What so give us one more example of of that? Uh, you got so, so so many great stories on each of these areas of of connecting with others. What was your next favorite? Maybe another top favorite is the oldest person I interviewed, and it's a one hundred year old Lois. Oh wow! Yes, and uh, Lois is a great example because uh, of of the path that her story sh- shares. And when her husband passed away, she moved into, she chose to move into an assisted living right near her home. She had tons of friends and loved that. And then as can happen, she had a fall, had a health issue, and her kids insisted that she move away from her home state to Florida where her adult daughter had retired. And she said, oh, my heart just fell into my shoes at that news. But I said to myself, Lois, I, you, you just can't go there and be crabby like, like the other <laughs> friends that you've heard people talk about. So what Lois did instead is she used her sassy little flip cell phone and that. she has scheduled eight standing phone dates with people every week. She said, you know, 
at this assisted living, people go to bed so early. And so <laughs> she's got a long night ahead of her. And so she has set it up with a couple of her kids, with a cousin, with an old friend. She uh, kept the the phone directory from her assisted living and from her, you know, her life in her before that. And she makes it her business to call everybody on their birthday. She said, you got to get up. You got to call them first thing in the morning. Otherwise the day slips away. And what I love about that is here is this woman whose path was not of her choosing. And yet she still made it her business to choose joy and created what she could in the framework of the life that she has to stay connected with others with eight phone dates every week. And her response, that is amazing. So her response, Lois's response to her situation was to choose a different outcome. Yes. And make it happen. Powerful. Well, one of the things we talk, kind of kind of a philosophy here at the Retirement Resource Maps is uh, we talk about, uh, I call I call our, our people, our listeners, our, our tribe, so to speak, rich lifers. We're committed to living a rich life mm-hmm. with kind of the theme of we're taking a stand and we're going to proactively live a life that's intentional, fulfilling, and fun, right? right? Joy, your message fits right right along with that. So what I love about this book uh, is that you've given some very specific things, some very specific areas we can start working on and being intentional that will lead to that fulfilling and fun part, right? And that joyful, exactly. joyful retirement. So as we're listening, you've done, uh, I appreciate the work because I know it's a lot of work to go out and do all these interviews, get all these stories and pull them together. So I know it's a labor of love and a passion for you. So somebody listening saying, hey, I'd like to I'd like to hear some of those stories. That sounds very encouraging, motivating. I'd like to see what other people are doing. How do we get the book? Mm-hmm. So the book is available on Amazon, Kindle, Barnes & Noble. If you prefer supporting your local bookstore, it's available through all indie book sellers. Okay. If you want to just get a little sneak preview, there's a free sneak preview on my website. So you can download that at babsplunkett.com. I'm sure Bo will take care of you with that in, in the notes. So the book is available now and it's a great gift for yourself. It's a great gift for somebody getting ready to retire or somebody who's maybe a little stuck in retirement and needs help, especially in these COVID times because many, many of the Try This Ideas work great in COVID times. I made adjustments. Some little action items, some little Mm -hmm. daily things we can try. So look for, uh, if you're looking on Amazon or if you're looking at your bookstore, anywhere you're looking, look for Babs Plunkett. And the book is Choose Joy, Three Keys to Investing Your Time in Retirement. And as Babs shared with us, we will have the link in the show notes. But if you go to babsplunkett.com forward slash book, she has gifted us a free guidebook to this Choose Joy philosophy in the book. So Babs, uh, once again, thanks for the work you're doing. Thanks for the, the... positive message. I think we need a lot of positive positive activities, message, and news and retirement because if you dig into it, it can get kind of dark and a, a little bit scary. Okay. Um, so thanks for the work you're doing. And I hope as you go down, gather more stories, you'll come back and join us on the Retirement Resource and share again in the future. That'd be great. Thanks so much, Paul. See you, Babs. Thanks. Okay. Bye. Thank you. Man, Bo, I really, really enjoyed that. I mean, I know I say that about a lot of our interviews, but she was so sharp and she had such great stories. Um, And I really love the three ideas of this is the ways that you can cultivate joy. One, engage your mind. Two, move your body. And then three, 
connecting with others. And I got to tell you, for me, Bo, like I got a little tear in the eye hearing about like the yeah. new granddad and the four-year-old and they're playing hockey. I mean, one, it's a tearjerker because like they found each other, right? It was like this new, beautiful relationship. But I'm just also just flat out impressed um, because I don't know how to skate. And here's this 70-year-old man out there skating, skating with this four-year-old. And then two, like, I'd be afraid that I'd fall on the four-year-old. So, I mean, this is impressive. Like, they're doing a lot of things in that story that I just thought were really moving. And, you know, it reminds me, we talk a lot about our listeners here at the Retirement Resource uh, being rich lifers, uh, living their definition of a rich life. And Babs reminded us, and she's just, you know, I think ladies get it quicker. They really dial in this message better than some of us men. And she got what that meant. What is this definition of a rich life? Because engage your mind, right? Keeping keeping purpose and, and keeping your mind active and move your body. Let's take care and invest in our physical health, right? Yeah. These themes, these are things we 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 know are right, but do we really spend our time and intentionally invest? Yeah, are we in intentional them? with it? Yeah, that's a great point. And then connect with others. What's that about? That's all about relationships. Yeah. And is it fun? Like there's this idea, I think a lot of times, you know, she's talking about, well, I thought I was going to be golfing. And now my body's decided that's not fun. Okay, so how am I going to make new fun in this? Or the, you know, the woman who's having to move across uh, the country to Florida and she's like, I didn't get to decide to do this, but I can decide how I'm going to react to it. And I'm going to make some fun with these eight different phone calls that I'm setting on my calendar uh, every good. single time. I mean, I'm just so great. And what I love about the way this, this, these ideas are laid out is we could today, and this might be an action item or a challenge, I could take it on. Listeners, this might be something we want to do is, hey, what's one thing I could do today and commit to maybe next week? And when I say one thing, it could be for five minutes to engage my mind, to move my body, and to intentionally connect with others. All right. Well, Bo, that song means it's my favorite part of the show because it's my favorite song of the show. It's time for... In the Mailbag. That's right. Well, friends, normally we get lots of great questions via Facebook and the website. Um, and we did this week as well, but we also got this great story. If you're looking for ways to be on the show, the best and easiest way is to get your question read from In the Mailbag. The ways you can do that is go to askbo.com or facebook.com forward slash retirement resource. So this week we were reading these great questions, but like I said, we're in the Christmas spirit around here at the Rose Creek Community Center. And somebody sent us the story of George Clooney apparently giving away millions of dollars to his friends. And so the story kind of goes, you know, he's been wealthy for a long time, um, but he realized there were guys in his life um, he kind of calls them the boys who had been around since the very beginning. He drove a van. He was homeless and kind of couch surfed uh, from spot to spot, uh, had kind of, you know, day labor jobs just to make it while he was going out on auditions. And what he did is he gathered 14 friends together, Bo, and guess how much money he offered each one of them. What did he do? He said, I'm going to give you each a million dollars. That'll make a statement. A million dollars. Now, one of his friends, his name is Randy Gerber, who is also, you know, he's been close to uh, Clooney for a long time and, you know, talked about this kind of surprise. Um, uh, he is married to Cindy Crawford. And it's kind of funny when they got together, everybody's come over to the house and George Clooney basically say, said, look, listen, guys, I want you to know how much you've meant to me and what you've meant in my life. I came to LA. I've slept on your couch. 
but I've been so fortunate in my life to have all of you and couldn't be where I am today without all of you. And so he gave them suitcases, each one of them got their own suitcase. And when they opened it up, they found a million dollars in their suitcase. A million dollars. Yeah. But here's the interesting thing. So Randy Gerber apparently said, you know, this husband of Cindy Crawford, he's doing all right, successful in his own right. He said, George, it's too generous. I can't take that. So he turned to his group of friends and said, if Randy doesn't take it, nobody gets it. Oh, a little bit of pressure. I like it. So I love like in that moment, this story of, you know, him investing in people who had invested in him and just saying, look, just, just because I love you, just because honestly you were there for me, not because of what it produced or because I had a great life, but because we're friends and we're community, you were the ones who got me to where I am. I think that, no, that's a great story, Carl. Thanks for bringing that up because like said, I think we've all been different places in our lives, right? I think at some point, most of us have struggled. Most of us have had that person, that friend, that mentor that gave us that hand up or that helped us have a tough situation. And I think it's timely for this time of year to say, okay, you know, we we get really caught up with Christmas, with buying things for the grandkids, with buying things for our significant others and in the consumerism and all, and all the materialism that comes with Christmas these days, right? It's, yeah. a, it's a marketing event. Yeah, let's absolutely. Face it. But maybe, this makes me think, maybe we could all just say, what's one thing I could do? Now, we might not all be able to take a million dollars and give it to our closest friends. That's an extreme example, right? Sure. But maybe we could buy coffee for the person behind us in line. What's one thing we could do just to give back or just to kind of pay it forward or just to show gratitude for the things we have? Because we don't know. I mean, in George Clooney's world, right? To us, we think a million dollars. He just sold his tequila company for $1 billion. Okay, so to put that in perspective, okay, so a few years ago, he gives away this million dollars to 14 different people. That's not the same thing as a million dollars to us. And in the same way, like you're saying, what are ways that we can be present to somebody else that would mean something to them? It might not mean a million dollars. It might not change their world, but it could for sure change their moment or their day because you were present to it. And maybe just a reminder again to bring giving back into the conversation of the holiday season. I like that a lot. Yeah, me too. So thanks again to our friend who sent that in for uh, this week's edition of In the Mailbag. And a quick reminder to you guys, if you want to be on the show, be sure to send us your question or your great story like that one to askbo.com or facebook.com forward slash retirement resource. That's all we've got for In the Mailbag. Well, speaking of giving, that that was a great story. And I love that segment when we do it. And I love the feedback. And whether it's a question or a story that's shared with us, I love that. But speaking of giving, Carl, did I see you bringing something into the community center? Was it a tree? Yeah. I mean, I, I, I wanted to bring something in for art. You know, it's been a rough year, but we're kind of on the mend. Y'all made a lot of progress, though. We have. We have. And so I was like, okay, I got this. So I don't know if you know, Bo, but during this time of year, I work at the... Um, the local Christmas tree farm. You know, people come in and pick out their Christmas tree. Okay, you got another job. Yeah, I mean, you know, like most of my jobs only last a couple of weeks. But my talent there at the farm, because I don't really get to deal with the public because they ask me not to, is I can pick out all of the Charlie Brown trees that aren't going to make it, that aren't going to be sold. And they, they let me have them. And so I thought, you know, wouldn't it be awesome? I'll, I'll bring this tree in for art. And so I, I snuck into his office and I, I, I put it in the corner. So you're like a, a special tree specialist. I, I am. I'm like, I'm a the tree, an ugly tree whisperer. I just know where they are and where to put them. But, but 
I didn't know that this was going to cause such a problem. Art didn't appreciate. He wasn't. He he likes the pretty trees. Well, it wasn't even that. I was trying to be like a secret Santa, and so I didn't tell him about it. And I, you know, kind of put it in his office. I only came to find out later he's almost deathly allergic to pine. Oh no. Yeah, yeah. So like he broke out, and you know somebody had to get an EpiPen. Like it was a whole thing, and so uh, so yeah, things have been a little rocky the last couple of days with that, but. You know, speaking of which, I think the joke thing always cheers him up. And I, he's actually walking. Do you mind if I wave him down to come and tell one of his jokes? Hey, no, I'm afraid you set yourself back with a Christmas tree experiment. So let's get him in here. Yeah, let's yeah. see if we can smooth it over. Yeah, hey, hey, Art. Yeah, no, man, you look great. I, yeah, man, I'm, 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 I'm sorry. But hey, Bo said you could tell another one of your jokes. Come on in. How does a penguin build its house? It glues it together. <laughs> it glues. It's good. Wow. Hey, that's always, hey, that's always great. Art always brings the goods. I like oh, always bringing that humor. Art, you're the man. I appreciate it. Man, he's still throwing some shade. He's mad about that well, thing. You, his eyes are almost unswollen. Almost, uh, he's yeah. He's almost I mean, open. That, that left eye is a little, still a little. Puffy. You would almost say he's not puffy anymore. Like, it's great. Like, I mean, the, joke, the jokes, I think, are getting better. Well, that's great. So, all right. Well, I guess that's about all the time we have today, Carl. That's it for me. I got to get uh, back to the Christmas tree farm. So again, they can find us, ask their questions at askbo.com. Find us at Facebook. Forward slash retirement resource. All right, and we'll see you all next week. Same time, same place, right here on the Retirement Resource. The Retirement Resource Show is for entertainment purposes only. If you could call it entertainment, that Carl is the worst. The content represents the thoughts and opinions of Bo Henderson and guests of the show. If I'm being honest, I really think I should be the co-host. Huh. Before making any financial, tax, or legal decisions, consult with qualified professionals. Jeez, that was a pain. I'm out. <laughs>